we all own a lot of the same stuff that sits in the same spots that doesn't get utilized. I'm like, yeah, why isn't there an easy mechanism to transfer assets from person to person? And, uh, you know, after I kind of, I, you know, as soon as I, you know, come up like, hey, why isn't something like this exist? Um, I started digging into it. I, I was just shocked that no one's came up with that Airbnb for stuff. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And where did that come from? Is it, I mean, you have a lot of background in kind of uh, mobility, like mobile apps and that type of thing. Is did you just figure out like, okay, we need to bring the sharing economy to the mobile experience or, or, or what was that kind of path to this? I mean, I've always been software based. Um, so it's always kind of looking at, you know, working drive efficiencies. How can you automate out um, things through software or processes that are technology enabled? Um, and so like, that's always kind of how I think it's like, okay, the, why does this have to be so hard? How do you eliminate steps? How do you eliminate costs? How do you make it so you save people time and money on both sides? Um, and if that doesn't exist and there isn't like a big problem you can solve, it, it really isn't that interesting to me. Yeah. So when you talked about like this, like sort of sharing economy for for stuff, right? Like the Airbnb for stuff, did did that play out the way you thought it was going to be? Or did you start to see like a lot more promise and interest in one area of it and kind of work off of that? Well, and, and so that's in the very early days of Fluid. I mean, you could rent anything. And uh, if it wasn't like anything that wasn't real estate. Um, and we saw this crazy user experience with trucks where we'd have businesses coming on, running a truck, running two trucks, running five trucks to go run their business. And we're like, wow, that's really strange. It was originally designed to be a B2C play. Um, and we started digging deeper and we started to realize how big of a market, how big of a problem is. Um, and there's a lot of friction involved with getting trucks. It forces a lot of business owners to either turn away business and say, no, I'm not gonna accept this, or they go and buy a, a fleet of vehicles for their period of time that may be sitting there 80% of the time across the year, but just so they can have it to service customers during that peak time. Like, wow, it makes a lot of sense why, I mean, no one wants to buy a bunch of assets they're gonna sit around. Uh, no one wants to buy a bunch of assets that you're going to use up and down. Um, and we gave people the ability to go grab the asset they need, the truck that they need, um, put to work in their business, you know, whether it be for a day, two weeks, you know, six months, on weekends or during the week, and effectively run their business off of it. And we just watched people go immediately asset light. They can start up a business, start servicing customers, and they don't have the capital expenditure or the management of a fleet stealing. Yeah. So when you started to see that trend, did it immediately make sense for you? Or were you a little confused by that? And you're like, why, why is this? I have to start asking like why that was. Yeah, no. And we had to start talking to customers and like just trying to understand it. And it became apparent after we talked about a couple of dozen, dozens, a couple dozen different customers, that this is a big problem. And then we started to look at the, the market size and like, this is a huge market. I mean, we're talking over $30 billion a year in vehicle, commercial vehicle rentals and short-term leasing, right? Okay, it's a big market, big problems. And we looked at who's out there and what were the people servicing it. Because uh, people were coming out, actually finding us as a, a small startup company, um, actually going out there looking for what we had to offer, coming back, repeat business, just coming through and through. And it was just flying off the shelf. And we're like, wow, why is this? And looking at how the market and looking at the competition and how it's been done for the last 50, 100 years, it was like, okay, 
we have the ability to go out and help a lot of businesses become a lot more effective, save them a lot of time, save them a lot of money and create a lot of value uh, across the ecosystem. That's cool. So what are your, what do your customers look like today? I mean, is it a, a complete cross spectrum from everyday people who need a you know, vehicle on the weekend to uh, small businesses? I mean, what, what does it look like today? Would you say? I mean, it's, it's primarily small businesses. Um, we do have individual users that will come on and, and use us for a couple hours, but it's a very small percent of our overall use cases. Most of them are small businesses, you know, from a sole proprietor that's just using a truck for themselves, all the way up to a Fortune 50 company that's uh, using our platform to provide all their delivery drivers access to the right vehicle to go out there and deliver the goods that they're selling to their customers. Yeah. And what about the fleet itself? Well, what does that look like? Like, um, is there a lot of variety in the options? Is it all gas? Is it some electric? Like, what is the, the options there for them? So we, we have pickup trucks, cargo vans, all the way up to big box trucks, those 26 foot uh, box trucks. Um, and we'll have uh, electric and gas, even though the primary, the majority of our fleet is gas today. Um, but we're, we're, we've had electric commercial EVs on the platform for a little over two years now. Um, and we like the opportunities that those afford. Um, but it's still early days and we're, we're still bringing those out to market and working with a lot of customers to electrify their fleet. So it, it will be a, a much bigger business, part of our business going forward. Um, but it's still the early days in the commercial EV side. Yeah. With, with all the effort you've put into it so far, what has been probably the, you know, gnarliest challenge that you've tackled already, like successfully, like you're glad you it's behind you, like you've overcome that thing and now you're onto a new one. Well, I think it's uh, a lot of big challenges we have are having the right amount of vehicles in a market for customers. And we always like kind of look at where we fail is when we get too many customers in the market and we don't have enough vehicles to service them. Um, and supply chains made it really hard to be effective at scaling those out. So, I mean, we've got, we've been relatively uh, conservative on, on how we're scaling out the customer base, um, and not trying to bring too many new customers into the fold. So then it, it, it results in not enough availability and, and people not be able to depend on us to run the business. But that's, I think, been the challenging of the supply chain is, you know, getting the right number of vehicles to match up against the, the vehicles that are needed out there in the market. Yeah. That's the tough thing about marketplaces, right? Is you got to have kind of equal sides to it. Do you, do you approach um, people with the vehicles and who are providing the fleet or how, how does that kind of go about? How does that kind of build up? I guess. I mean, we have uh, individuals that will put vehicles up on the platform. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's uh, either fleet leasing or rental companies. They're placing vehicles with us or it's, uh, you know, high net worth, or family offices, they're buying fleets of vehicles solely dedicated towards our platform. So it kind of looks like a passive investment model of uh, you go out and buy um, real estate on Airbnb. You know, it looks like the same thing where people are going out there and buying vehicles just to solely put up off load. Yeah. So James, this isn't your first venture. What what number is this for you? Um, well, fluid be lucky number thirteen. Number thirteen. Uh, what are you, this is, this could be a long answer. Um, what are you doing differently with number 13 that you weren't doing with one through 12 or what, maybe, I mean, maybe you learned it on number five, but you've been doing it since then. Like, I mean, there's learning lessons you take away from everyone, but I think that the core fundamentals of finding good people, uh, challenging them out with uh, what we have to do, uh, you know, being transparent across 
metrics, numbers, um, so they know when we're winning and when we're failing. Um, and I think you know the combination of just you know trying to make sure that we we hire for people that are going to meet into our values and our culture, um, empowering them with the data information, um, and continuing to challenge them. Yeah. What do you, uh, I'm curious about the values and culture. Do you feel like with each of your ventures that has, there's a lot of similarities in value and culture or does it change a little bit or a lot of bit with each new one? I mean, the, the some of the values will change based on what you're building. Um, you know, in uh, some companies where you're, you're not building something for massive scale and growth, you're building something to really attack a segment of a market. Um, and it's uh, a lot more strategically, you know, rifle shot versus a shotgun approach. Um, and I think, you know, depending on what you're trying to achieve, uh, who you are as a business leader um, and the, the people that you're trying to empower as you know, employees, as partners, and how do you build a, a system that's going to really allow them to be able to grow and achieve, you know, the best. Yeah. Uh, I also have to ask, uh, what are... What are new ventures spending too much time on that you would not spend as much time on now that you've been through a few of these? When you say new ventures, like are you talking about what? what yeah, new, new startup, ventures? new startup, early stage, early, st- early stage company. What are they spending too much time on, or worrying too much about, or in, over investing their time and effort in? I think that there's a you, you'll see this a lot where people take way too long to get the product out to the market to get in front, in front of customers. And I think, you know, ultimately it's build for the core things that you think are going to be the most important to the customer and get those to the customer as quick as possible. Sometimes you find you're right. Sometimes you find you're, you missed the ball completely. Um, and sometimes you find like, okay, we got some of it. We need to add these two, three things to be successful, to help save the customer money, to help them save time, to make them more efficient um, and make them better. But ultimately, you, you need to get that in front of it to test it. And the quicker you can get in front of it, the quicker you can see, like, do I have something that's going to be successful or do I have something that's going to fail or something that just needs a lot of work? What do you think that is? Do you think it's, it's just the pace that maybe some people are used to or they just have so much confidence in their own belief that they don't value that feedback? Or is it that they're just afraid of embarrassing themselves by, you know, maybe putting something out there that's lesser than like, what do you think it comes from? Um, I think it's, it's, uh, as you start building stuff, uh, when it comes out, like that's not exactly what I was thinking. And so you go back to the drawing board, back to the drawing board. And, you know, you've got to have something that works and that's stable and that people can rely on. But at the same time, uh, it, you're not looking for a perfectly polished gem that you're putting out to market. You're looking for something that's a, a diamond in the rough that has the ability to scale to be that polished stone. Yeah, I think in some cases, there's a bit of a fear that you know that it's going to come back with some sort of critique and edit that you don't really want to hear. Maybe yeah. like this I, this great idea I had isn't going to be perfect, you know? And so you're not running for that feedback in some cases. Oh, and, and I mean, I, I, if, you're not, if you're afraid of that feedback, you're you're... As an entrepreneur, you're in the wrong wrong line of work because there's going to be always positive and negative feedback with everything. And negative feedback, I value more than positive because the negative feedback tells you where do you need to improve at. And there's always 
nothing's ever perfect, right? So it, yeah. it, it takes cycle after cycle of continuing to look at what the problems are, prioritizing them out, and working to solve them for you know the limit limit cases that you can solve for in a short period of time. Yeah, I think what I'm picking up on and kind of hearing is something I've always thought too, which is I, it took me a while before I realized like, okay, I'm wrong about something. I don't know what it is yet. So I need to get it out in front of people so I can learn what it is that thing I'm wrong about. I just don't know what I'm wrong about yet. And if you can go through and the other thing that helped me personally was, you know, a person who only has one, like one learning cycle in a given period of time, or if you have 10 learning cycles in a given period of time, like who's going to be better, right? Like it's pretty easy. Imagine if you had learned to walk and uh, if it took you a week when you took a step to see if you were successful or not, you know, take you a lifetime to learn how to walk. Um, and so luckily, you know, when you take that first step, you fall on your face, it hurts and you learn to go better the next time and you learn it instantaneously. Yeah. And the learning to walk example is great because that's what it kind of looks and feels like in the process too, right? They're just being a little clumsy at the beginning, but it turns into with fluid truck where there's some areas where it came back with feedback. You're like, wow, I didn't expect, I mean, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but what was maybe one where you're like, man, that I was way off on that one. That's interesting. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, as we kind of look at the early days I and mean, we saw a lot of success in, in one specific um in like just the truck segment and so we did we were at that time we were concerned about being a one-trick pony we're like okay if we're just trucks and you know we don't, aren't servicing these other market segments are we a failure to ourselves and we saw you know the good and bad is like sometimes you'll see success and we saw like success you could rent out a ladder and make 500 percent a year on that ladder that you know thing is a ladder costs 100 bucks and so, you know, making forty dollars a month is successful from a, a, a ROI perspective, but it's not scalable. Uh, you know, you can buy paddle boards and put them on a platform, and you make what you paid for that paddleboard uh, for four months a year every month. So you make four X on that paddleboard, but then after that, the season for paddleboards is over. No one's going to rent them, and then you end up losing that those people that are, are lending and the people that are renting them. And so, like, you know, those success cases on there, um, you know, I kind of wish they were like bigger fails on that side because we'd be quicker to say, okay, let's stop investing into this. Instead, we, we continue to invest on and figure out how do we find those segments? How do we scale those segments? Um, and we have a place where we're investing, the, you know, our marketing budget, our effort and time into other segments. And we had one that was just, you know, no matter what was, was going on, it was 95% of the revenue. Yeah. Do you, I think I know the way you'd answer this, but if this was your first or second startup venture, do you think you would have held on to that longer or were you quicker to make tough decisions because you've been through this before? Um, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like you always kind of find uh, the longer you go on, the more money you burn uh, and the shorter your runway gets, the more it focuses, focuses you in. Um, so it's interesting because if it had been earlier in the time, you know, we've had less capital to play with. So we probably would have been focused based off of sure determination and like runway uh, to figure it out. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it, it's a good, that's, a, good that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I didn't think of it in that way, but you're, you're right. Like you probably have the insight to cut things, but you also have the ability to sort of, test things a little bit longer, right? Like you've, you've worked your way to a place where you can try things a little bit longer. You don't, it's not just 
this or nothing, you know? Yeah, no, and we probably, if we had less money uh, in the bank, we probably would have focused on that earlier. Uh, instead, we continue to invest in other ways to try to figure out what are the opportunities out there. Yeah. What has been the reaction whenever you're talking with someone who owns a vehicle or a fleet, or if you're on the other side talking to uh, clients, customers, like when do they kind of get it or what are some of the kind of conversation points that they're saying to you or the feedback they're giving you on fluid truck? I mean, in the early days, it was this, uh, we're first trying to get people to take put vehicles on the platform. And this is just from a vehicle investor standpoint. Um, it's like, okay, I'm going to buy a depreciating asset to rent out on this platform. Um, and it, yeah, it's like, okay, if I rent out a depreciating asset and like most of these people were real estate investors. So they're, used to buying a, a appreciating asset that cash flows and to do it with a depreciated asset, uh, there's a lot of disconnects there. And so, you know, we got a lot of early investors and really our cycles have been built by people on the platform, referring other people to the platform. And that's really the vast majority of our inventory today has come from friends of friends, uh, seeing it, doing it, seeing great success, sharing the results out, and then, you know, that's spread a great base of people that are buying assets to put on the platform and, you know, generating, you know, great ret revenue re returns um, for them and their businesses. That's cool. Have you, that, I think the term for that is viral coefficient, like one customer equals however many customers, right? Have you, have you quantified that or has it been difficult to track of like what one, what one client or one customer equals uh, becomes? Um, or do you not bother yourself with that math yet? I, I think the, I mean, we've, I mean, we've had to cap it on how many people we let in just because of, of that. And so, um, I haven't run the numbers on it because it, it all started off with a, just a, a handful of seed investors that's morphed into, you know, hundreds and thousands of groups that want to be on the platform that are kind of waiting in line. So it's, you know, it's kind of one of those rare circumstances where you only have so much supply to give them. Uh, so you have to be very selective on who's in there. And, you know, the original people that were believers in us, you know, of course, the, the first ones to get access and then it trickles down to and new people join the platform from there. Yeah. And then sometimes that backfires. And when they find out they can't get in, they want in even more so. Yeah. Which then it's, uh, you spend more time trying to manage people to, uh, managing the gate instead of managing uh, the throughput. Yep, that's interesting. What's been the most rewarding aspect of this so far uh, with the time you put in with Fluid Truck? I mean, it's uh, I mean, it, it's been amazing to watch customers come on. Uh, whether people starting a business and they start with one truck and watch them scale up to have 10, 20, 50 vehicles they're using and you know built a big business without having to go out spend millions of dollars buying fleets. I mean. Watching that, you know, people create a business and watching them scale is, is amazing to see. I think from a team perspective, I mean, we've gone from, you know, in 2019, you know, we're, you know, just under 10 people at the beginning of, uh, in January of 19, um, we're about 500 people here today. Um, so, I mean, we've scaled, you know, you know, insanely fast in terms of team development. And it's been, you know, always, always humbling to watch, like, you know, people that are young, smart, uh, want to go out there and create, grow and build, uh, and watching, you know, people are 
I'm not sure if you're ready to be able to tackle this challenge, watching them go through, not only tackle it, but you can go push on well, well past it and really develop on a professional level, you know, faster than you kind of expected them to. And so it's always humbling to kind of watch people go out there and create and build and, uh, you know, become, you know, extremely successful and execute and deliver products and services that, you know, come from an idea to a place where, you know, it's transforming, you know, industries. That's awesome. Well, you talked about some of those customers who start with one truck and then they're basically building their own business using this platform. Like, what are some of the use cases of that? What are the businesses that they're building? I can I can imagine somebody who's uh, doing deliveries or something like that, but I'm sure there's several. Delivery companies, I mean, watch you know, moving companies to start up. You have people that are in the staging arena for homes. All of a sudden say, great. You know, now I can used to only be able to do one, how I can farm out to do 10, 15, 20 different homes in a single, single weekend with a fleet of different vehicles. Um, watching delivery businesses that start up and you know, they start with one truck, one driver that all of a sudden go to 40 or 50, you know, routes they're running a day. Um, you know, it, it's pretty cool, like what we able have the ability to touch and help and support on. And when you get people that access the assets they need to get the job done, um, you know, it's amazing what they can do with it. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a delivery, that's something that they're using every day. This isn't like an occasional thing. So you could have, you before a fluid truck, you could rent trucks and vans. You must have taken a large part of the friction out of that process for them to go this way. Can you talk a little bit about like, you know, what the old method was versus what the new method is here? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever been at an airport rental counter, uh, and there's Painful. 20 or 30 people in front of you. Those are open, you know, a lot longer cycles. I mean, most commercial vehicle rentals happens between nine to five, Monday to Friday. And you show up at nine o'clock and you're waiting behind 30 or 40 people. You may spend a couple hours in line. Now, as a business owner, you know, that's a couple hours out of your business day that you're taking to grab an asset. So it just becomes a spot where you say, you know what, I'm going to have to turn my business because I don't have the assets to be able to effectively do it.